quick survey to get us started. How many of you knew where your parents hid the Christmas presents for your family when you were a kid? Be honest. Okay, parents, pay attention because I know some of you have your kids in the room. Okay, okay, next, next question. How many of you would go and look to see what you were getting before, because you just couldn't wait for Christmas? How many people would be honest with that? Okay. Yeah, my wife and I have four sons. One of our sons already got busted for that like two weeks ago. Okay, one more level of sinfulness. We're about to see how honest we can really be in church here on Christmas Eve. How many of you would go and unwrap your gift and play with it and then wrap it back up and put it back as if nothing ever happened? Okay, good. That's good. Confession is good for the soul. This is a good place to start. Awesome. Waiting is really hard, isn't it? Uh, If you've been here at Frontline the month of December, we've been working our way through a series that's, that's been all about waiting. How does God meet us in times in our life when we're waiting? Uh, Because Christmas is all about waiting. The season of Advent is all about waiting. And that actually comes from a storyline in the life of Jesus himself, that God's people, Israel, were waiting for a Messiah. The word Messiah just means king. And so they were waiting for this Messiah, this king to come, that they believe had been foretold from the scriptures, from what we know as the Old Testament, From centuries ago, they believed there was a Messiah, a king who was going to come, and they were waiting for this Messiah because they believed when the Messiah came, he was going to make things better. That's what they believed. That's what they hoped. They they hoped that when the Messiah came, that he was going to make things in their world and in our world better. And really, if you think about it, we're not really that much different than them. We always are on the lookout for the next thing that's going to make our lives better, In 2019, we're thinking about what's the next thing that's going to make my life better. We're always looking for the next diet or exercise program or the next relationship that's going to make our lives better, the next job opportunity maybe, or the next product that's going to promise to make our lives better. We're always on the lookout for that. And so the question I want to wrestle with this morning, or wait, it's it's evening, right? Is that right? Yes. Sorry, this is the third service now. The the question I want us to wrestle with this evening is how exactly was a baby born to a poor family in a manger in first century Palestine somehow supposed to be good news that things were going to get better in our world? I mean, mean, really, how exactly was Jesus' birth? Here we are 2,000 years later, we're all gathered in here tonight and we're celebrating the birth of Jesus which is an amazing thing. But how exactly was Jesus' birth in Bethlehem all those centuries ago, how exactly was that good news that somehow things in our lives, somehow things in our world are gonna get better? That's what I wanna wrestle with a little bit tonight. And so we're gonna jump into the Christmas story. Um, We're gonna look in Luke chapter two. And there are four gospel accounts in the New Testament of Jesus' life And so we're looking at uh, Luke's gospel. And so in chapter two, Mary and Joseph have made it to Bethlehem and Mary is ready to give birth to the baby. It says, verse seven, she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, An angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, 
But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. What always jumps out to me about this passage of scripture, every year, even this year, reading it, what always amazes me is that the announcement that that the Messiah had finally been born, that Jesus had finally arrived, that announcement goes out first to a group of shepherds who are watching their flocks of sheep at night. That's the first group of people that actually gets the announcement and actually hears that Jesus has been born. Now, what we know about shepherds from this time in the first century is that shepherds usually did not own the sheep that they were watching. As a matter of fact, they usually didn't own anything at all. Um, Most likely, these were homeless nomads who had been hired to watch sheep And so they were supposed to stay with the sheep around the clock all the time. And so these are people who had nothing to go home to. They had nothing to look forward to in their lives. These were some of the most impoverished people in the entire empire at this time. And the angels appear to this group of shepherds. And they're the first ones that get the announcement that a savior has been born. That the Messiah has finally arrived. But take take a look at their reaction Verse 15, it says, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Which always begs the question for me, who is watching the sheep? Have you ever thought about that when you've read those verses? Like literally, they just, they abandon the sheep and they just take off and they just go looking for Jesus. There's got to be Jesus somewhere and they're, and they're looking for him. There's, they, they leave with such a sense of anticipation This announcement from the angels gives them such a sense of wonder and anticipation that they just abandon what they're doing, set it down, and they just go to look for Jesus. Why? Why? I think a clue as to why this created such a sense of anticipation for them is in the announcement itself, in what the angels actually announced and what they actually said about Jesus. If you were paying attention there in those verses, the way the angel announces Jesus' birth, he says, I bring you good news that will be great joy for all people. Now, I just want to point out what that is not. Sometimes it's, it's easier to understand what something is by explaining what it's not. It's good news. I want you to, to understand it's not a good explanation. It's not a good explanation as to why things have been so hard. It's not an explanation as to why things are broken in our world. It's not an explanation as to why life has been unfair. For this group of shepherds who probably had lost their family land and because they couldn't pay the unfair taxes that were put on them from King Herod himself, for this group of people, there's no answers as to why. Why has life been so unfair? It's not a good explanation. It's just good news for the future. The things are going to get better. And it causes great joy. And just so we're clear, it's for all people. It's not just for the religious. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's for everybody, including stinky shepherds out watching their flocks at night. 
It's good news for the Gentiles, for, for every human being. That's the announcement. So as we think about this story, the Christmas story, as we kind of turn it toward ourselves tonight, and that's what I want to do. I want us to, not just to hear this story again, but to actually turn it toward ourselves and ask, what does it say to us? What does it mean for us? I'd love just to ask you a question. And so this is the question, which would you rather have as you think about your life? Would you rather have good news for the future? Or would you rather have a good explanation of the past? See, here's what I think. I think most of us, if we were honest, we live our lives on a daily basis and we, we operate in this headspace where we believe that God somehow owes me an explanation. Why has life been so hard? Why have, have these unfair things happened in my, why is our world so broken? If God is so good and he's so loving and he's so powerful, what's the explanation? Why are things broken? I think deep down, a lot of us, that's what we want. And what's so amazing about the Christmas story is the Christmas story is not about that at all. What God seems to believe you need and I need and the shepherds needed and all of the world needs is not a better explanation of our past, but a new vision for our future. A hope that's deposited inside of us that reverberates out of our lives into every area of our lives and creates this sense of anticipation. This, this sense of wonder and anticipation that life is headed somewhere, that, that God is not done with me yet, he's not done with this world yet. That's what God offers in the Christmas story. We have ways of dealing with our past. Psychologists have ways of helping people who are working their way through grief and loss and uh, a sense of brokenness. Um, we, we're familiar, many of us are familiar with Kohler's five stages of grief. Basically, there are these stages of grief, if you're not familiar with them, that every single human being walks through that, that have been identified whenever we've lost something, whenever we're grieving, whenever we're in the midst of, of a time where um, there's brokenness that's happened in our lives. And so we work through these five stages of grief, and the, the five stages are denial, that's just like a sense of shock. It's like when the news first washes over us and we can't even believe it. And then denial usually gives way to anger, anger at God, anger at other people, anger at myself maybe. And eventually anger leads to bargaining. And bargaining is basically just a, an attempt to try to get control of my situation, get control of the outcome of whatever's happening. And eventually when we realize we really can't control what happens? It leads to depression. And then if we've really grieved well, if we move through these stages well, the best thing we can hope for if we've grieved something and move, move through all these stages is eventually we arrive at acceptance. To accept our losses. To accept what it is that's happened to us. That's the goal of grieving. If we've grieved well, maybe we'll eventually arrive at being able to accept it. Some of you in this room you're in one of those stages right now. Maybe 2018 has been a year for you where you've lost something or someone. Maybe this is the first Christmas without them. Uh, maybe you're working through some traumatic experience of loss and you're processing through these and you're trying to get to acceptance. 
But even if you're not, I, you know, I actually think not only do we move through these five stages of grief in big ways with traumatic losses in our life, I actually think we move through these all the time, every day, even in small ways, whenever we deal with things that are happening in our past. This past week, I was um, sitting in the auditorium of one of my boys' schools, and I was there because I had to drop him off early for this Christmas program. So I'm sitting there in the auditorium waiting for his Christmas program to start, and to be honest, I'm kind of annoyed that I have to be there another night for another Christmas program for another one of my kids. Anybody else live that life at all the last couple of weeks? And so I did, you know, while you're sitting there waiting for the program to start, I did what I think most of us do. I got out my phone because I'm sitting there waiting. What else am I going to do while I'm waiting? And so I get on my phone and you know how Facebook will pop up a picture and it'll, it'll say, on this day three years ago. Or maybe some of you have time hop. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a picture only you can see and it'll pop it up. And so I'm sitting there and suddenly I'm presented with this picture and it's from Christmas three years ago and it's me and it's our family and it's my boys. And I look and I see this picture and it's like this suddenly this wave of emotion just you know, like rolls over me as I'm sitting there in the auditorium. And all of a sudden it's like, are you kidding me? Has, it, has that really been three years ago? Have they really changed that much? And in this one moment, I'm sitting there, I started, I actually started counting up the number of Christmases I have left until they've all graduated and left my house. It's eight, by the way, that's how many I've got left until they've all graduated and left. I think sitting there in that moment, I went through all five of these stages just right there in an auditorium waiting for my kid's Christmas program to start. We go through these stages all the time. It's how we deal with our past. But some of you are dealing with that in some extremely heavy ways tonight. And it's, it's weighing on you. And here's the thing about that. The point of grieving, if we've grieved well, is to move to acceptance. But what I want you to hear tonight is that that's not the point of faith. The point of faith is to move us one past acceptance. And it's to move us to a place in our lives of anticipation. Faith is when God deposits hope in our lives that begins to reverberate out to where it affects every single other area of our lives. A lot of you in this room have moved to a place where you've been able to accept the things that you're grieving. And that's good. That's healthy. We should grieve when we've experienced loss. Maybe some of you, the healthiest thing you could do in 2019 is go to a counselor and work through your past and work through these stages of grief. But what I came here tonight to tell you is do not stop there. God has more for you than that. The Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, is about moving beyond a place of accepting what we've lost to actually move to a place where we begin to anticipate what's next. If you came here tonight just hoping to accept the losses of your life, I'm telling you, you set your sights too low. God wants to do immeasurably more than that in your life. And so... The way we move from acceptance to anticipation in our lives is called salvation. That's the term we use for it. In fact, Jesus' name means salvation. That's what the name Jesus means, is salvation. And so what happens is, the way salvation happens is we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And we have this understanding that Jesus came into this world and he offered himself in a sacrificial death on our behalf on the cross and rose from the grave to eternal life to offer us life. 
And so he came in our place and took our place so that we could exchange places with him and we could become a son or a daughter of God. That's, that's what we do. That's what happens when we, when we begin to put our, our trust and our faith in Jesus. Exactly what the shepherds did. This message, they leave the sheep and they go off with this great sense of anticipation. I love what the, the gospel writer John says. He, listen to how he describes the birth of Jesus and what it meant for us. And we said there are four gospel accounts of Jesus' life. In John chapter one, this is what he says about Jesus. He says, he, Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who, what? Believed him and accepted him. He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. What's that saying is, Jesus came to this earth and not everybody accepted him. Some, even his own people to some degree rejected him. But to everyone who believed him and accepted him, he died on the cross for every single one of us. But when we believe in him and we accept him, we actually take his place and we become a son of God. We become a daughter of God. We become a child of God. And we get connected our lives to a bigger story, the story that God has been doing in redempting and redeeming the entire world from the beginning of creation to now. And that's what happens when we do that, when we believe him and we accept him. And when you've done that, when you've actually put your trust and your faith in Jesus, and when you've accepted him, it changes everything in your life. Your perspective changes. Your outlook on life changes. The way you make decisions changes. Don't make the mistake of just thinking that this is all about, this anticipation we're talking about is all about just heaven after you die. It is that. We do have this hope in, in heaven and what's going to happen even beyond death. But it actually, that anticipation actually impacts everything even right now today. It places this foundation, this center of hope inside of us that begins to reverberate out of our lives into everything that we experience. And when you're living with this sense of anticipation, the whole world gets bigger and hope becomes a reality. And, and the goal of life is not just to accept the things we've lost. The goal is actually to begin to live with a sense of anticipation that God is not done with me yet. I'm part of a bigger story. When you get to that point, when you've done that, you can say things like the writer Paul says. You find these statements all throughout the New Testament. And the writer Paul in the New Testament says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I consider that even our present sufferings, whatever I'm grieving right now, whatever stage in the grief process I'm in right now, whatever has happened, whatever I've lost in 2018, it's not even worth comparing with the glory that God is gonna bring out of my life. It's not even worth comparing with the glory that's gonna be mine for all of eternity. That's the perspective shift. That's the change. There's a couple in our church who, uh, when they got married they knew that they weren't going to be able to have children biologically. And so, uh, believing that God had still called them to be parents, with some friends and some family and praying, they entered into an adoption process. And so with great excitement and anticipation, they signed the paperwork and they began the waiting process for what would eventually become a two-year painful journey, waiting and waiting Till they were finally able to 
bring home their beautiful daughter, Hazel. And God did some amazing things through that time and through their story. And so I asked them if they'd be willing to share just like a five-minute version of their story and their journey with us and what God did through that. And so um, I'd love to be able to share that with you tonight for a Christmas story. So um, I want you to, I want to introduce you to Zach and Krista Sietzma right now. Um, I guess my expectations for the adoption, I wasn't expecting there to be a bunch of other complications or, I don't know, I just thought there was a more like one, two, three kind of steps and that's not how it goes, <laughs> always. Yeah. yeah, for me, I knew it was going to be kind of a difficult, hard process, but just what the process would be, what the stumbling blocks would be, I don't think we could ever really prepared or know what that would have even looked like. Our first match was with a baby boy. We were like over the moon excited to welcome a baby into our home and really excited that we were finally matched. We had waited about a year and then uh, we got a phone call from our agency that um, they needed to talk and I knew then it wasn't good um, and she lost the baby. The kind of other thing that went along with it is she had been lying to us for, for a couple weeks. She pretended that she was still pregnant. That was definitely one of the, for me, one of the hardest pieces of our entire journey is just the idea that the person directly lied to us. And just about something of that magnitude. We got a call exactly one month later that there was a baby girl at the hospital already. Um, and could we come meet her that night and take her home the next day? And yeah, we went that next day and brought Charlie home. Yeah, we brought her home and just stared at her. <laughs> we didn't know what to do. That's very true. It just felt right. Yeah. We thought that's where he was leading us and we thought this was gonna be our baby. We heard nothing for about a week. We kind of started getting those phone calls. She's still questioning her decision. She's not sure if she made the right choice. It's not. It's nothing to do with you. She thought you guys were great. It's just she doesn't know if this is what she wants. We were just living on like eggshells. I don't know, like walking on eggshells, living on the edge. I mean, it was like, I just wanted to pray that we got to keep Charlie. Mm -hmm. And you would always pray for God's will to be done. And I would get so angry because I would just say, what if his will is for us to not keep Charlie? And I just didn't even want that to be an option, I guess, so I was trying to kind of keep everything in my own hands and in my own control <laughs> as much as I thought I could, I guess. Um, I mean, we had Charlie for oh, a little over a month, and then we got a phone call that uh, the birth mom wanted to parent, and we had to bring her back the next, it was heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. It was the worst, probably longest, night yeah, ever. Yeah. I was very angry with God. Yeah. I just didn't see like where his plan was. I wanted it so bad and then like it felt so right. We thought we felt like he was totally in that getting Charlie and just the timing of it and all we thought, oh this is it. And then for it to not be it it was just made us question, like, are we not looking in the right, are we not praying the right way? Are we not asking the right yeah. things? Are we not? You know, it was definitely a lot of anger for me. You know, as you, as you just asked the question, you know, what did that, I'm like getting, I was feeling angry just now. Mm -hmm. 
We decided to go off the waiting list for a little while. Um, we still felt called. We knew the direction. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just like, okay, we're just gonna take a breath, make sure we're good, and then, you know, that process will, will go when it needs to. So we had been waiting for four days after we went back on the waiting list. Four days. It was we Monday and we got a call on Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. On Friday um, that we, that a birth mom had chosen our profile and we were getting a call to see if it was something we were ready to move forward with. Um, and after everything we had just yeah. gone through with Charlie and all that stuff, had, like that all did happen with that first month, we felt like, oh, this is kind of, this would be exactly what we need. We feel like we can say yes to this. Mm -hmm. And so we did. Got a phone call that, you know, there's a baby girl, she's here. Drive down tomorrow morning. And we could not believe it. Yeah. So everything was signed that day and two days after she was born and that was such a good feeling like it was yeah, just that like was, that. That was oh my good goodness and so it was just this over abundance of joy i mean she's amazing mm -hmm. we've had her for almost a year now and almost a year. Yeah. yeah she turns one next week so cheesy but this is what's in my mind is like we went through all of that um and, and maybe we wouldn't feel the way we currently do with our situation with Hazel. Um, you know, Joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain. Um, a wise man once said. It's, <laughs> but it's true. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't feel the yeah. way we do about Hazel. Not that we would feel a lot different, but no, I just, I we mean, needed that, to go through that. Yeah, in some ways, I feel like it makes our story of getting Hazel like richer and more like I just feel like there's days where I look at her and I'm still I mean a year later like just thanking God for this gift mm -hmm. in my arms and I just I mean it happens all the time I just look at her play with her and I'm just sitting around going I can't believe yeah this is what we get to do and mm -hmm. so It's okay to grieve loss. It's okay to ask why, but don't stop there. Zach and Krista went off the waiting list. They absorbed the full impact of, the, of those losses and that grief. But underneath that, underneath that, it was this, this hope that had been deposited in their life the, the, in the person of Jesus and that their life was connected to a larger story that God was saying to them, I'm not done with you yet. Your circumstances do not get the last word in your life. Your past does not get the last word in your life. God says, I get the last word in your life. I'm the one that gets the last word. And so the question I wanna ask you tonight and I'd love for us to just wrestle with for the next couple minutes is this question. Do you live with a sense of anticipation? As you think about your life, where you're at tonight, as you think about your 2019, what's coming, as you think about even what's beyond this life, what's even beyond death for you, do you live your life with a sense of anticipation? Do you live out of this center of hope that's reverberating out into your life? 
that your story is connected to a grander story that God has been up to and doing since the beginning of creation. Do you live with that? If not, what I wanna do tonight is, um, for some of you, maybe tonight is just a night to be reminded as you go into 2019, to be reminded that you have that hope, that, that Jesus died for you, that you are a son, you are a daughter, a dearly beloved child of the King, of the Most High, and that He is with you and He wants to give purpose and direction to your life. But for some of you in this room tonight, maybe what needs to happen is you need to come to this place where you believe that Jesus is who He says He is and you accept Him as Lord and Savior. He's waiting on us. Even in Jesus' own people rejected him. Even lots of people and even in his time rejected him. We have this choice to either reject him or accept him. And for some of you, you don't have that, that sense of anticipation. You're not connected to anything bigger than yourself. And it's a lonely place to live in. And so tonight I want to give you the chance to believe and to accept. And so here's what I'd love to do. If you can bow your heads with me. It's everybody in the room. He wants to enter your life and he wants to begin to give you hope that you live your life out of. And so if that's you tonight, if you know that you're ready, you know it's time to just believe and accept Jesus, to allow him to enter your life, to allow him to give you a hope and a future, I'd love for you to just pray this prayer with me. It's all we're doing. It's more of a confession and a prayer to God. So Lord Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And tonight I accept you as Lord of my life. I ask you to come in and enter my life. I ask you to fill me and give me a new hope and a new anticipation for the future and where life is headed. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and raising to give me a new life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. My friends, if you prayed that prayer and if you sincerely meant it, we believe you just got saved. That's what we believe. Jesus' name means salvation. And when you, when you believe him and accept him and ask him into your life, you got saved. That's what happened. You just got connected to the bigger story of redemption that God is up to in this world. So here's what I, I wanna do. Uh, just those of you who prayed that prayer and who sincerely meant it, I'd love for you to break your glow stick. Just the people who prayed that prayer. Don't worry, the rest of you are gonna get your chance here in a few minutes, don't worry. Uh, but if you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to break your glow stick right now. And then here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna count to three. And when I count to three, all the lights are gonna go off in this place. And if you prayed that prayer, if you believed and you accepted Jesus, I want you to lift that uh, glow stick up and I want you to wave it around like crazy in the dark and for everybody to see. And when you do that, all of us, the rest of the church here in the room, we are going to lose our freaking minds. And we're gonna clap and we're gonna cheer. We're gonna go crazy. And here's why we're gonna do that. In Luke 15, it says that when even one person, even just one person believes and accepts Jesus, that all of heaven, all the angels in heaven break in and they lose their minds and they go crazy and they clap and cheer. And so what we're doing is we're just gonna join that celebration that's already happening in heaven. We're gonna join that celebration on this side of things. And so uh, if you're ready, if you, if you haven't broken your glow stick already, if, if you prayed that prayer, uh, go ahead and break it now. And I'm gonna count to three. And as soon as I get to three, the lights are gonna go out, raise those sticks high and wave them around. You ready? One, two, three. Raise them up. Raise them up. 
Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Keep them up. Keep them up. Praise God. Man. You are a new creation. You have, God has given you a new sense of hope, a new sense of anticipation. He is not done with you yet. Your circumstances don't get the last word. Your past doesn't get the last word. It's been taken care of at the cross. And you are a new creation. And that's worth celebrating. So here's what we're going to do. The rest of you, if you would break your glow sticks, everybody else in the room, and would you stand to your feet? And we're just going to sing and we're going to celebrate along with the angels in heaven who Jesus is and what he's done in this place tonight.